This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. To this week's edition of the Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio Program on Community Radio 3CR, 8.55am and digital live streaming and a whole bunch of ways you can listen to us on podcast as well. Thank you to Democracy Now! for the last hour of current affairs. My name's Chris and Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio, we're a little show about cycling and related transport issues coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. And in the studio today, we have a very special guest... Hello, um, I'm Penelope Bennett. Um, I actually work for the state government department, so I guess I should say up front that the views that I guess I'm expressing today, I know it's a real cliche, but they're personal and not necessarily those of state government. Um, but hopefully just call out the facts and call out some things that I learned. So I'll be um, yeah talking about the Dutch Transport Innovation Study Tour, um, translating best practice transport innovation, um, which was a, a tour that I went on recently that was run um, by Dr. Elliot Fishman um, at, in the last week of June. Yeah, so you've just recently returned from Europe where it was a lot warmer than it is here. <laughs> Definitely. They were actually having a real heat wave. So yeah, the shirt, shirts were off early in the morning, uh, especially in England, but yeah, the tour was um, in the Netherlands and, yeah, it was also it was very hot there. So in its full cycling beauty. Yeah, so uh, it would have been pretty interesting seeing things from, like, the Euro perspective at the moment because, uh, yeah, here in Australia things are a little bit different. But, you know, again, people still get out and ride for transport. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, new political leaders like uh, Sally Cap, the new Lord Mayor of Melbourne, who is doing some pretty interesting stuff. I noticed an announcement last week about changing some of the um, main roads to having like, like kind of like greenways and the like um, around the CBD. Yeah, I think um, it would be fair to say I think there are some levels of despair even um, in the <laughs> cycling fraternity at the moment. Um, you know, it, it can be a quite hard space to work in, but I think there are also quite a few few opportunities at the moment. And I think you know this tour clearly. You know, there were things that obviously you can't translate. We can't, can't suddenly make Australia or Melbourne the Netherlands, but there were some things which I think are definite opportunities that I'd love to elaborate on. Mm. Yes, and uh, so as, uh, as the intro today, I was playing uh, Senior Coconut, the uh, Tour de France thing. And it, it's again, um, the tour has been disappointing. <laughs> 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 That's a nice little segue. Um, last night's stage tour, uh, the stage nine, I believe, is hexed um, after... Uh, Richie's accent, and also what I couldn't get over is we're talking about the Tour de France is the amount of people having offs on normal sections of the road, not the parvo. <sighs> I don't have any really special comments on that because look, you know, I'm not a, not a roadie. I just watch these things because they're endlessly fascinating. And I also wanted to bring in the fact that there's a group of women at the moment who are riding the Tour de France route ahead of the men, 
and they're doing this to uh, ensure that uh, the Tour de France for women come back because, yeah, we've got La Course, I think, this week, but it's really been dialed back in terms of uh, the, what um, participation for women in the Tour de France sort of you know, set up or ASO and all that sort of stuff. We've got Narosa at the moment, and I believe there's going to be live stages of that on um, SBS if you want to go find out more about that. And I think that that is this week. Because, yeah, it's not all bloke racing. There's women who ride bikes too. Yeah, and that's one of the really interesting things. I'm sure a lot of your listeners already know that in the Netherlands, actually, you know, more women cycle than men. So, you know, and it's not just about the infrastructure. It's about what cycling can actually provide you with as a form of transport being more convenient and easier to actually get all your get all your jobs done and yeah so you know it's not yeah not so binary always yeah because yeah again you know we're talking about two completely different types of cycling and one is a sport competitive Mm. and a hell of a lot of joy to either watch or participate in and the other one is riding for transport which can be both as well but it's also the more it's the 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 more useful in terms of moving around a very large flat city like melbourne is something that uh, there is great potential for. And also, it's an equitable solution. Yep. It's something that um, on this show I've been trying to push for the last decade. Of uh, There's been a recent push with uh, cycling to be seen as some type of inner-city, urban, elitist, privilege sort of thing. And it's like, hang on, that may be your talking point from, from our perspective, or from my perspective, um, cycling has been a conduit to um, a whole bunch of you know, opportunities and things that I could not have done. And also, I don't get myself into a debt trap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it's, yeah, again, everyone's got their different take on where they come from from cycling. So after the break, I'll be talking a bit more to Penelope about her trip. Do you want to learn new skills and open new career opportunities? AIMS Australia is a leading education provider offering government-funded courses in general English, aged care and work skills. Courses start in July, so call 13 26 37 now to sign up today or go to ames.net.au for more information. AIMS Australia is a registered training organisation, TOID 0590. AIMS Australia is a 3CR supporter. listening to Yarra Bosco Users Group Radio on Community Radio 3CR 8.55am digital live streaming and uh, back in the studio talking to uh, our guest Penelope so who's been uh, just in Europe doing a study tour. Yeah so I think I'll pick up on one of those words that you just mentioned and that's you know the joy of cycling which you know Sometimes we just associate with, you know, cycling as a leisure activity, maybe mountain biking or, you know, getting out on your road race. But that was one of the real messages, which I think we need to have a think about um, in Australia as well. And that's the really joyful and positive image of cycling that is in the Netherlands. And we need to recognise the potential happiness, the joy and the equity that you mentioned um, that is provided by cycling. Um, so one of the big messages that a lot of speakers said is that we really have to work on improving the image of the cyclists and of cycling um, and also of cycle train integration, um, which I'll talk about a little bit more. And cycling has got its advantages. It can be more flexible than driving. It can be easier to get around than driving. And as I've already mentioned, in the Netherlands, more women cycle than men. And while this in part may be attributed to women working closer to home. They, 
for better or worse, still run more errands. errands and um, yeah, cycling just provides real convenience and best meets their travel needs. And it means that, you know, it's a really social activity as well. And, you know, I think you can't help when you go to places like the Netherlands to notice that the cycling infrastructure means that different abilities and ages, different types of cyclists, it can, you know, there are some lycra cyclists there. And the infrastructure is generous enough that, you know, all these different cyclists can cycle happily, you know, side by side or, you know, passing each other. <laughs> that really positive image is, is something that's really important. Um, and then it's also that idea kind of leads into the vision. You know, what future do we actually desire for Melbourne? As you say, there's been a, a lot of big announcements and kind of was following things from the Netherlands. Obviously, a lot of really big roads announcements recently and you know I think I was kind of staggered by just all these big roads announcements and at the same time really astounded by the the message that that these were providing the for the future these were providing for our children to have a better city and that you know we really do have to question do our children actually want you know a road dominated environment in the future and even now and that was that was another really big thing is that you know children there are a really important element in society and transport planning so there's that idea that having a, a, a city that children can be autonomous in is so important to them and lots of speakers did you know reiterate that children in the Netherlands are the happiest in the world and you know part of that is because they have that freedom in the city and our children really do deserve a sustainable, safe future, you know, even now. So they, we need to start thinking about what sort of city we're going to create so that they can be active citizens on our streets. And so I guess, yeah, that's, there's that autonomy and independent travel for children. But at the same time, it also means that adults can also, I guess, have, have more freedom and more time. And I think that kind of leads into that message the messaging of transport at the moment it's always you know transport seemed to be a really stressful thing yeah parents just have to you know race around being the taxis for their children so these road projects are associated with this messaging you know it's a bit of a message about travel pain um so yeah because i you know like where i am there's quite a few schools and creches and stuff and i don't see you know, like it's just you know, just an observation. I don't see a lot of these parents and kids really enjoying what they're doing. You know, I'm just observing. There's um, quite a few who do you know things like bikes and stuff like that as well. But the whole pressurised thing of like trying to get a park, trying to get as close as you can, screaming at the kids because if they get on the road, and that you know, I've, a couple of times it's something that's really floored me is if a kid just you know idly wanders out into a um, a road where there's no car coming, and there's absolute panic in the in the adult's voice it's just a small thing but it just really kind of it gets to me when I hear it it's like why do we allow ourselves to live in such fear of our own environment sometimes yeah so all that messaging it's about getting people home as fast as they can Mm. so roads are seen to providing more roads widened freeways are seen to get people home faster so that they can spend more time with their family and friends and sure say Oh, sure, um, direct fast journeys are important. Not saying that spending time with your family and friends isn't important, but mm. at the same time, it's inferring, as you say, that you know it's just stressful and it's mm. it's not something to be enjoyed. Whereas we need to turn that message of travel pain into travel gain and accessibility 
and livability is not about getting people around as fast as you can by car. It's about meeting people's travels needs um, easily and preferably enjoyably. Um, and even that part of the journey, it can be, you know, about socialising on the journey. It can be about creating that sense of community, which is, you know, so important. So it's about what sort of city we want to create. And, mm. you know, we have all these words in our in our planning documents like Plan Melbourne Light, livability and community. But, you know, there's that gap in between actually the words and implementing it. Yeah, well, it's about bringing things like the Victorian, um, was it, Transport Integration Act, there's some fabulous stuff in there, but I don't see much yeah. of it implemented. Anyway, kind of like, did you see while you were over there, and is there anything like any really good uh, things that can could be used here in Australia or just, you know, really kind of positive stuff that really stepped up at you? Yeah, associated with that message of, you know, travel gain is that idea of cycle train integration. So it is something that's really picked up on in the Victorian cycling strategy and yep. also I think really positively the... Um, that Plan Melbourne does already talk about how, you know, we need to have local accessibility, we need to have cycling and walking to activity centres, but also it talks about how to get to jobs we can't always cycle the whole way, Mm. but we want to make them more accessible by public transport. Then you get to the public transport by walking and cycling preferably. And so that cycle train integration is something that we really could pick up on as an opportunity here in Melbourne. Mixed mode. Yep, yeah, the mixed mode. And that was a really important message. The mixed mode, it's not just about cycling. The The key proposition in the Netherlands is that cycle train integration. And one of the, the speakers, you know, said that, you know, it is a myth that cycling on its own can replace driving. Um, but the train-bike system creates synergies that can replace car driving. When you combine these two, you create magic. So cycling is that good journey and a social activity, whereas car journeys are actually lost time and a disutility. The message was don't try and make cycling, you know, necessarily compete as a fast, long distance mode. Like we can't, you can't equalise those things. You need to present cycling and particularly cycle train as, you know, a positive positive option or a better option. Yeah, well, especially in Australian cities, which tend to be quite dispersed. And um, yep. again, there was some something that we were discussing pre this is like, uh, you know, we look towards the Netherlands as some great utopia, but yes, but there's stuff there that we can't instantly translate to an Australian context. And there's got to be some localised or regional differences factored in. And Australian distances are really something in terms of we don't have these compact cities. We're developing them with infill stuff that's going on in the last 10, 15 years. But mm. currently, I think what you were saying, the mixed mode is a fantastic way to go. And in terms of cost or benefit cost analysis or ratio, whatever you want to bring into it, it's really good. And it um, cuts out all those debt traps of, uh, well, you know, can minimise the, you know, the household budget um, yeah. uh, travel costs. second car and yeah, all those things. Yeah. yeah so, um, I, you know, and locally there has already been research and, Billy Giles Corty did a whole lot of work and other researchers did a whole lot of work, you know, looking in Salander Rise and they found that people, and I think it was a bit of an unexpected finding, that people in these new developments, they're really looking to be able to walk and cycle to public transport, you know, for that little opportunity to fit some exercise in their their busy day but also really importantly to build that sense of community because, you know, they're obviously new communities and, you know, you need something to, you know, help help stimulate some mixing and to to build that sense of community. So, yeah, it it is something that there is a real opportunity here. And I think, 
you know, there are also new developments in the Netherlands. We went to Hooten, which um, is a development that was, you know, developed in kind of peak peak car times in the late 1960s, I think. You know, they just deliberately went in and focused the the town centre around a train station and made it much easier, faster, more convenient to cycle. And, you know, there's nothing to say that we can't do that in our developing areas. Yeah, because we've got like our outlying areas like Mernder and uh, Sunbury and areas like that are becoming like, you know, small cities in their own right. And why can't we develop around some of these transport hubs? I mean, you only have to go out to Box Hill and see the amount of development going on out there. There is phenomenal opportunity here to bring these equitable solutions like walking, cycling, mixed mode into, you know, the the transport mix here in Melbourne. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, obviously improving things for cycling is one thing, but a really important thing is the relative relative convenience and um, the relative journey proposition of those different modes. Mm. Um, so a really important concept, which it, you know, I think that some people do find it really hard to, to think about communicating and implementing in Melbourne is that idea of filtered permeability. Yes. Um, so they have a really strong emphasis on functionality and homogeneity, which, you know, sound like fancy words, but we, we have kind of that concept of functionality already. It's about, you know, having a road hierarchy. The difference being they, they, they still have their, their lots and lots of motorways. They have lots of car roads, but they make sure that they focus that energy and people still do drive and have high levels of car ownership, but they focus that energy on those long-distance trips. Whereas if you want to try and make a a journey to the shops or a local journey um, between nearby communities, you actually have to drive further. So it's actually creating a street network where you have a good system of, say, arterial roads or motorway roads, but you make sure on the local roads you're really committed to making the conditions that will make cycling safe, convenient, direct, faster than driving, which might mean actually making the car journey more circuitous. You can't actually drive from one side of a neighbourhood to the other. You've got to get onto a major road, which, you know, politically, you know, some people might think is political suicide, but it's known in many different places this is actually what will work. Well, and it can yeah. actually make better conditions for driving as well. And the the drivers in the Netherlands are actually really positive about their roads. So... It's, it's not, you know, one or the other. It's not all about cycling there. The motorists there are also happy. So I think that's something we have to overcome and that's a conversation that, you know, has to be kind of broached with politicians. It's not, if you promote cycling, you're not completely anti-car. You're not saying we can't have any cars, but it's make sure we get the community level cycling right, that we create the local areas that really are conducive to cycling and you can't just try and mix and make everyone happy by having lots and lots of cars in local streets. Sometimes you've got to spend some political capital. Anyway, we'll be back in a moment uh, with more of Penelope's interview about how to make our cities more enjoyable, more fun to live. And the truth is... Brrr. The Smith Street Dreaming Festival is coming soon. Smith Street Dreaming has become one of the area's most anticipated street festivals. This year, we're featuring Dave Arden and Band, Alice Skye, Benny Walker, Birds, the Jury Jury Dance Group and Indigenous Hip Hop Projects with MC Layla Guruwiri from the Mangrook Footy Show and much more. Smith Street Dreaming 
corner of Smith Street and Stanley Street's Collingwood. Saturday, July the 22nd, 1pm to 5 o'clock. Smith Street Dreaming, one street, many mobs, one community. Smith Street Dreaming is a drug and alcohol free event and a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio on Community Radio 3CR. And speaking to Penelope today in the studio. Now, we just ended up on, like, you know, trying to make our neighbourhoods and transport things more equitable. We've actually got things actually happening in Melbourne. One of the very first local area traffic management plans that were put in was for Carlton North. And that is a phenomenal example of how you can, uh, like, keep, you know, it's through traffic, but uh, promote walking and cycling and also make the area absolutely wonderful to live in. Yeah, uh, uh, I was just saying <laughs> that that was an example that I wanted to give. You know, the Canning yeah. Street, you're seeing, you know, women as well, really high levels of women cycling. So, it, you know, we can see locally that if you do provide that infrastructure and you create whole routes that are going to work for different cyclists and you'll see even kids, you know, whole families cycling along there, you know, it will work, but, you know, you've got to really be committed and reallocate the space. You have to do it in a meaningful way. Um, and so I think at the moment, you know, if if I want to kind of pick up on what are some real opportunities, um, I think I just kind of mentioned it a little bit before that there obviously are a lot of, you know, big projects going on at the moment. And I know that a lot of, well, a number of people have already you know, mentioned in the media um, that these are a real opportunity to actually try some different things. There's that opportunity to see what the impact of different traffic arrangements are and cycling improvements as part of these projects can also capitalise on what's called in the, you know, the research literature as the change moment. I don't know whether that's kind of self-explanatory, but basically, you know, when Say, for example, you know, the road conditions change or the the station shuts down for a certain project and then reopens. People have to rethink how they're they're getting to a station or they're using the road network. So they may actually change their travel habits. And we all know that habits are really hard to break. So when we have these major projects, we not only potentially have the opportunity to improve some infrastructure itself, look at what we can do to, you know, maybe reallocate some space or do some cycling and walking improvements, but also have that really, I guess, quite rare opportunity to make people reconsider their their habits and maybe present some really positive messages about, you know, some alternatives, which they may not have realised might be faster and, you know, if we provide some good infrastructure at the same time as providing some positive messaging, you know, there is that opportunity to actually hopefully make some change and, you know, change the thinking around the car being the only option for people. So, I mean, you know, in the Netherlands they still talk about choice but people are provided with some, some good choices and unfortunately here we still sometimes think of cycling as an alternative mode, not mm. a a good you know, widespread alternative, um, not alternative, but a good widespread um, option choice. Now, to go right back to the beginning of how the Netherlands changed their transport priorities, and we've discussed this on the show several times in the last decade, 
what the Netherlands was actually like before they changed. It was horrifying. You, you have very high-density neighbourhoods. You had a lot of children and had an incredible um, child death rate on the roads. It was, uh, and they had a, a series of campaigns or one campaign that comes to mind, which was probably part of people just rising up and they had enough of cars and small streets. Was, was it the Kinder Mort? Yeah, Stop the Child Murder. Yeah. Was it something like several hundred children were being killed a year on the roads? Yeah, it was. Pre- I can't remember the exact thing, sorry, but, yeah, it was pretty terrifying. And, and this know, was enough, only, to, yeah. enough to generate, you know, public. So, I mean, you know, that was something that, as you say, it was mm. something that was brought up that a lot of the change was led by the community, mm. which hopefully, you know, at the same time that people are going, oh, well, politicians aren't, aren't doing anything, they're not changing, they're still thinking in a certain way that we don't necessarily agree with or not, you know, everyone in the cycling community agrees with. But, there, you know, you have to think that that change was in part led by the community. So, mm. you know, I think that the community does have also a role to play in, you know, helping to, to make that better vision. But at the same time, it was really interesting talking to... Um, well, you know, when people from government in the Netherlands presented that they were saying that, you know, planning is really respected there, which, you know, to me made me, you know, <laughs> step back and really think, well, you know, what what are we doing, you know, what do we need to do better here so that people, you know, the general public do actually respect the strong role of planning. And well, planning's been emasculated here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm just saying that as a probably small editorial note, but no, uh, planning is, no, it's not respected in Australia. It's seen as something that, oh, can I uh, bend the rules on this and turn it, turn it, turn a coin? You know, in terms of from a project development perspective, yeah, yeah. And I mean, planning the planners there, you know, talked about how you know they play a really respected and important role in terms of helping the community um, create a really strong long term vision rather than just being reactive. Because you know, all too often, you'll get traders, you know, because. It, it's their livelihood they're concerned that you're removing the car parking from outside their business so it's being able to have that long-term vision and for the planners to have a certain level of respect so that people can be taken you know I don't want to use that cliche but taken on that journey or perhaps you know really feel as though they're part becoming part of the vision and for the planners to be able to actually even to the extent of we were told you know you should be able to draw up what people are actually saying to show that you're listening um, so that we can actually show that the planners can work with the community in a really meaningful way to show them positive change and inspire them to a positive future, which is, you know, as going back to what you said at the start, is equitable and, you know, healthy and works for, for all, well, most people in the community. Yeah. Uh, was there any, any way people can get in contact with you or find out more about your works or anything you wanted to say in conclusion? I'm on Twitter yeah. <laughs> and all of the usual things. So mm. I'm sure if you go hunting for Penn Bennett, you'll find me there. Um, yeah, and can message if you like. And I mean, I'm sure I'd be really happy to hear about, you know, how we can improve the messaging because I think we all realise that you know, infrastructure is one thing and, you know, the messaging, how we align, you know, that vi- our tra- travel and transport kind of messaging with what people actually want because people are so familiar with what they have at the moment. It don't want to all, all sound condescending, but unfortunately people don't, you know, they haven't even been presented or had the opportunities to see what a potential positive future is. And so, 
you know, we need to actually be able to provide that so that we can create a better future for everyone. Yeah, I think we need, um, I know this sounds a little bit jargony, but it's like what, we need an activation sort of thing for cycling. Okay, yeah, I've been in this space for 15, 20 years, but we still need activation. And by that, I'll give you an example. Go back a decade ago and we had people putting water tanks into their backyards because they realised we had the drought. So people started taking their own personal take on, I better look after my own backyard and I'll uh, collect my water. One we're seeing right now is on plastic. And it was one I thought I'd never see because it's so ubiquitous. Everyone uses it. Why should I have to change? People are really pushing from either consumer or product. They want change. Now, from um, personal mobility, uh, we're not there yet. And I don't really want to see if we go there is like living in Melbourne becomes too pressurised and stressful. Every you know, You're supposed to get out of your house, into your car and go to wherever you want, point to point. It's not going to happen, guys. And if you wish that... Um, yeah, you know, I've seen the city grow towards almost four million. If that's going to happen for the next, yeah, you know, the same incremental, you know, rise for the last mm-hmm. population keeps going on for another 10, 15 years. Nah, we're not going to be in a very nice city at all. So we've got to start thinking of different solutions. Definitely, you have to remember that that very important word of joy. Joy, because the happiness the, of the journey. <laughs> because it's a. I can tell you uh, from people who drive on the road every day in Melbourne for work and people who commute and, yeah, Melbourne, you know, like transport is probably going to be the issue of the upcoming state election and it's pretty joyless at the moment. So let's see if we can get um, an alternative sun, you know, ray of sunshine to the line to a better future coming through for Melbourne because it doesn't look very promising at the moment. Yeah, lots of opportunities at the moment and I think we have to capitalise on, on the opportunities that we have. Thank you to Penelope for talking today on Yarra Boss with User Group Radio. I really haven't got any time for news and events other than that, uh, talking about uh, poor planning and communication. Uh, the Federation Trail is going to have a diversion off at uh, Miller's Road for four years because of the Westgate Tunnel Project. Thank you very much for the powers of B for doing that. It's already hard enough to ride around Melbourne's west, let alone having something like that, a vital link taken out in um, Altona North. Maybe people should have thought about that a little bit more. Anyway, our podcast should be up later today on 3cr.org.au. Thank you to everyone who helped us make over, and I repeat, over our Radiothon budget for 2018. And if you want to find out more about um, news and events around Melbourne, find Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio either on uh, Facebook or Twitter, or you can go to our websites. There's two. There's yarrabug.org for news and events, and there's also an events page there, and uh, yarrabug.org forward slash radio. That's a mirror of the 3CR podcast. Thank you so much for today. Up uh, next is Jailbreak, and back in the studio next week should be uh, Faith and Bell. been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.